Father, we pray that you would speak, that you would help us to hear. Speak, Lord, because your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. The other day we were driving through a town in County Down, which shall remain nameless, uh, when we saw a sort of church that we hadn't seen before. You know when you drive around and you see Church of Ireland churches and you see Presbyterian churches and you see Methodist churches and you see more Presbyterian churches and lots of different churches, uh, but this was one that we hadn't seen or heard of before. It was called a New Testament Pentecostal Church. And it got us wondering, if they call themselves a a New Testament kind of church, if they don't use the Old Testament at all, only focusing on the New Testament. Now, I was that interested that I went back and looked at their website, and I'm still not sure what they do. But the thing is, though, that many of us may well be New Testament Christians, because we only tend to read the New Testament and we only tend to think about the New Testament. Perhaps that's because we're more familiar with the New Testament. And so, apart from some of the well-known Sunday school stories and the much-beloved Psalms, we can so often feel out of our depth in the Old Testament. We find it harder to understand maybe what's going on. And after all, it's the Old Testament that you find all the wars and the the killing of entire nations and you wonder what God is doing through that. And in the Old Testament, you find all the the wrath and all the judgment and stuff. And you find all the laws that we don't really know what to do with these days either. You know the laws that are quoted whenever people are trying to prove that Christians are hypocrites because we are against same-sex marriage, but we have no problem eating shellfish or eating clothes of, sorry, not eating clothes, wearing clothes of mixed fibres. And we think, isn't it much easier just to stay in the confines of the New Testament? Do we really need all those Old Testament laws, now that Jesus has come. Well, tonight we'll start to see what Jesus thinks of the Old Testament as he continues to preach his sermon on the mount. Jesus has gathered his disciples to him and the crowd are listening in as well, up on a mountainside and he is giving them his manifesto. The way things will be in his kingdom. And there are echoes, as we heard in our Old Testament reading, of Moses going up the mountain, Mount Sinai, to receive the law, including the Ten Commandments, which we've used. So can we just forget about the Old Testament now that Jesus has come? Should we just follow and live out the Sermon on the Mount and rip out the Old Testament from our Bibles? Well, Please don't do any violence to the pew Bible in front of you. Before we do that, it's important to hear what Jesus says about the Old Testament. 
And it would be good to have it open in front of you, page uh, 969 uh, in the Pew Bibles. Because there on page 969 in, in Matthew 5, uh, Jesus says that he hasn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. Jesus isn't coming in at like a wrecking ball uh, to knock them down, to get rid of them. Rather, Jesus says that the law is fixed. Uh, look at verse 18. He says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus says that the law is fixed, that it is permanent. It is as permanent as earth and heaven itself. So have a look around, have a look down, uh, if the earth is still there, then God's law still stands. It is fixed. And, and notice that it's not just some parts of it are fixed. All of it is fixed. Even the smallest letter, at the least stroke of a pen, at the jot and tittle. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the stroke that you do on a T or the dot that you put on an I, everything is fixed. It's unchanging. It's still there. And Jesus also says that the fixed law is unchanging in its demands. And that's where our problems really do begin. Uh, in the summer term at high school, uh, we had to do athletics. Uh, in the winter term and, and the spring term, it was fine. We could you know, play football and you just ran about and kicked the ball or avoided the ball or whatever you wanted to do. But in the summer term, we had no choice. We had to do athletics. And alongside the running races were the field events. And we all had to try the high jump. Being short, I wasn't really able to get off the ground very much. I couldn't make it over the bar. Now, some of the other guys were a lot more fit and a lot more sporty than I was, uh, and the bar went a little bit higher for them, but even they struggled eventually. But the law, the Old Testament law, is the ultimate high jump. And the bar is so high that none of us can clear it. And that's the case when we read the Ten Commandments. We heard them earlier. You see, we wouldn't even make it to number two before we have all failed. No other gods before God? Well, that's me out. And I suspect that you're right there too. Now that's enough of a problem, but Jesus seems to magnify the problem even more. Look at verse 20. He says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were like the spiritual SAS of, of their day. They were the super religious people. 
They didn't just obey the rules. They had rules about the rules to make sure that they obeyed the original rules in great depth. Their righteousness was strict, something that they worked hard at. And Jesus says that our righteousness needs to surpass theirs, that we need a better righteousness. It sounds beyond us. I might. And I suspect you are too. The fixed law stands and it has been broken. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. The law stands over us in judgment. We have broken it And we deserve punishment. But did you see what Jesus also says about the law? He says it's not just fixed. It will also be fulfilled. Look back at verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. But to fulfill them. Jesus says he hasn't come to destroy the law. He has come to fulfill it. He perfectly meets its demands. He fills it full. Just think of the way in which Jesus fulfills the prophets. The location of his birth. The fact that his mother was a virgin. His tribe of birth. His ministry. His miracles. His betrayal. His arrest. His crucifixion. His rising again to new life. In over 300 different Old Testament scriptures, Jesus fulfills every one of them. But more than that, Jesus has also fulfilled the law's demands. He was perfectly obedient in every moment of his life to the will of God. You know the confession that we've just said a few minutes ago. Jesus uh, could say the opposite to what we have said. Jesus alone could say, I have not sinned in thought or word or deed or in what I have left undone. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law and the prophets so that he has that perfect righteousness of a perfect relationship with God the Father. And as we trust in him, as we receive the great exchange of the cross, Jesus takes away our sin and gives us his perfect righteousness. It is by trusting in Jesus that we enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is how our righteousness exceeds that of the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Not what I have done, but what Christ has done for me. But perhaps you're thinking to yourself, well, why do we need to worry about the law then? Why do we still need the Ten Commandments, for example? Because Jesus has done it all. Jesus has paid it all. Uh, What do I need to worry about that for? Well, the law points us to the perfect obedience of Jesus. 
And Jesus calls us to obey him, not in order to gain acceptance from God because we already have it, but because we have been accepted. Jesus calls us to walk in his way, obeying the law from heart obedience, in grateful thanks to him, not out of a desire to earn our way. And as you can see in the rest of chapter 5, and this will take a few weeks for us to work through, in the rest of chapter 5, Jesus teaches us what it really looks like to obey the law. At the start of each section, uh, just under each of the headings there, you'll see that he says something like, you have heard it said, or it has been said. And then he gives his authoritative teaching on what it really means. Over the next few weeks, we'll work through them in turn. But for the the few moments that remain tonight, let's focus on his first example, that of murder. You see, whenever you read the Ten Commandments, or whenever you heard the Ten Commandments earlier on, and you hear, do not murder, you can probably think to yourself, well, I'm good on that one. I've never murdered anybody. But Jesus is saying here that you can commit murder in the heart without committing murder with your hands. <coughs> Excuse me. Commit murder in the heart without using your hands. You see, the same judgment awaits the person who is angry with his brother as it does the person who is a murderer. Jesus is saying that murder can be an internal attitude, even if it never makes its way outside. And so the God who knows our hearts knows what's going on in the inside. And God says anger without cause is as guilty as murder. A while back I was visiting a harbour. Uh, I can't even remember where it was, so I can't tell you. Uh, And uh, the warning sign on the wall was meant to read, Danger, Slipway. Uh, And as you know, slipways can be dangerous. With water or seaweed or algae, they can get very slippy very easily. And you might remember that tragedy in Buncrana a few years ago. Danger, slipway. Except on that sign, for whatever reason, the D had fallen off. And the sign read, anger, slipway. Our anger can be a slipway. So, so gradual, so justified in our own eyes that we don't realise where it is taking us to judgment, to the fire of hell. And notice that all the wrath and all the hellfire isn't in the Old Testament as some people think. Jesus speaks of hell more than anyone else in the Bible. Think of those times when anger rises within me. Maybe you too, I don't know. 
when you're behind the wheel. Where are you going? What are you playing at? Or when you're in a queue, could you be any slower? Or when you're sending a message, or you read something in a newspaper, maybe it's when you're watching the news about Brexit, you edit. It can seem so right. But if it's unrighteous anger without cause, then it can be very wrong. Even murderous in its intentions. So what do we do about it? Well, Jesus tells us to be reconciled and to sort it out quickly. In verse 23, he brings us to the temple, to the altar, and you're just about to bring an offering to the Lord. And in that moment, you remember that your brother has something against you. The thing to do, Jesus says, is to leave the gift, be reconciled, and then offer the gift. And notice in verse 23 that that Jesus doesn't say if you have a problem with someone else then go and sort it out he says if someone has a problem with you then be reconciled and Jesus says that we need to do it quickly in time he says verse 25 settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court do it while you're still with him on the way or else you'll end up in the whole judicial process he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison I tell you the truth you will not get out until you have paid the last penny better to sort things out in advance to do it quickly And suddenly, as we listen to Jesus teach us what uh, that command really means, suddenly we find that the bar of do not murder has got even higher. The standard is higher than we could have imagined. Our guilt may well be increased. And yet we can take heart tonight that the guiltless one stood condemned in our place. That Jesus fulfilled the full requirements of this law on our behalf. So every angry word, every angry thought, was laid on Jesus as he died on the cross. Through him, we can go free. Through him, we can be assured of heaven. Through him, we have this perfect righteousness. And we have this reminder of it tonight as we take bread and wine and remember.
Let's pray. Guilty, helpless, lost were we. Blameless Son of God was he. Alleluia. What a saviour. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you that he is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. For all of our sins. We pray that you would help us to take refuge in him tonight. And that as we leave from here, that we would go seeking to obey you more and more. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.